Welcome to the Addiction Connection podcast, connecting the hope of the gospel with the heart of addiction. I'm your host, Mark Shaw, and it is my joy to be here today to talk about sobering centers. I don't know if you've heard of sobering centers or not. They're a fairly new concept, and they are in larger cities like your San Francisco, Seattle, uh, bigger places. Of course, they're in some smaller cities as well in Alaska, uh, a town in Arkansas. And so, you know, it's all over. The, 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 the problem with addiction is not just in big cities and urban centers. It's, it's everywhere, small towns everywhere. So, uh, so today we're going to talk about sobering centers. And I want to start with the Word of God in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Well, let me start by saying that I am four things that help our communities. I'm four things that help law enforcement and our medical care systems and families and the like. And a sobering center is an alternative place to go for publicly intoxicated uh, drunkards, addicts, those who would normally be placed in a jail cell or in a hospital emergency room. I mean, you think about the insanity of that statement. For the same, the exact same behavior, drunkenness, you could either go to a jail or to a hospital. I mean, those are two radically different places. I'm either going to get arrested and incarcerated or for the same exact behavior, I'm going to be sent into a hospital for medical care, medical treatment. I mean, what other behavioral choices culminate in such a contrast of endings? I mean, thieves, they, they go to one place. They don't have two options. Uh, and other, <laughs> you know, if you're um, dying of, of cancer, you don't go to jail. You know, thieves don't go to the hospital. They go to, to jail. So you have um, most behaviors, most things that people do, end up in one place. And here we have two radically different end locations, a jail cell or a hospital room. So at first glance, when I think about a sobering center, I think about it and I think, you know, it sounds like a pretty good idea. Uh, It's a place without consequences. Now, whether or not that's a good idea is debatable. Love to see your comments on, on that. The sobering center will not charge anyone who gets placed in there, so there's no financial burden on the person, the drunken person that, um, you know, even if they were to um, be placed there involuntarily, there's no financial obligation or, or voluntarily, there's no financial obligation for them. Uh, it's a free place to go and to sober up. <clears throat> and basically people are in there for you know, eight to fourteen hours, they sleep it off. I mean, I saw one that they could stay about twenty-three hours, but typically they sleep it off. They're they're cared for. There's a medical team there who are looking after their um, medical needs, make sure there are no seizures, I would imagine, and, and withdrawal and that kind of thing. But just to try to help them sleep. 
And so there, there is a cost. I mean, to the person, there's no cost. The person who needs this service is not charged anything. But there is a cost. I mean, there, there are these have to be staffed. There are uh, medical equipment costs and, and all kinds of uh, cleaning and fees and those kinds of things. So this isn't totally free. Uh, and, and sometimes I think uh, some of the... Some of the pro sober sobering centers, uh, some of the news and that kind of thing that I've listened to, they act as though this is really a uh, financial burden relieved, and maybe it is on our legal system, uh, and maybe some on overburdened hospital emergency rooms. But the truth of the matter is, there is a cost. This has to be staffed. And I think you even have to have security. Now, I don't, I don't, I've not not been to a sobering center, so I must admit that I have not been, and I would love to learn more about it because uh, I do. There are aspects of this idea that I that I do like. Um, however, I don't know that I would call this a solution to a problem. I think it creates hope, which is why I started in Romans fifteen thirteen. Of course. There's only one hope in Jesus Christ from my perspective, uh, both in this life and in the life to come eternally. There's one hope. But I think a sobering sinner gives temporal hope to those who are struggling with addiction. And uh, I was quoted as saying such in World Magazine. You can see the link uh, in our description on this podcast. It's a it's an article entitled A Sobering Task, and it's written by Carissa Coe, who does a great job. Uh, it was posted March 11th at 6 p.m., and Carissa talks about a lot of things that I wasn't aware of and that I really appreciate. I mean, uh, in San Francisco, for example, she writes that uh, this... Their focus is on people experiencing methamphetamine, psychosis. So uh, that 47% of their psychiatric emergency room visits to San Francisco General Hospital were related to meth use in 2017 to 2018. So almost 50% of uh, psychiatric emergency room visits were related to meth use. Well, if a sobering center can take on the load of that and help hospital rooms, psychiatric hospital in this case, but, but ERs all over, if they can take off a load off of the emergency room and, and take care of some of that burden, I think it's a great bonus to the community and to the ER, um, especially when you have people trained to deal with this kind of thing. And she writes other, other important uh, aspects in her, in her article as well that I I mean, I appreciate the idea that um, they found 51 of the 1,605 patients who sobered at one program went into treatment. So 51 out of 1,605 patients went for treatment afterwards. So they sobered up and they went for help, which is is typically a good thing now. <laughs> This is a subject for another podcast, but where did they go for help, and what kind of help is that? Is it biblical help? Probably not. 
I mean, it's probably not uh, a Christian center that would preach the gospel, but it's probably a place that would help them to at least sort through life, develop some uh, sober time, clean and sober time to help them to get their thoughts together, their life together. It keeps them alive, which is not a bad thing. <clears throat> but it's, um, you know, I really want people to go for help that would not only help them in this life, but in the life to come, and that's only through the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I appreciated in the article, too, that repeat clients were nearly three times as likely as first-timers to enter rehab. So one person visited the center 14 times before seeking treatment. Uh, that's it's just incredible to me. I mean, 14 different visits, but then they sought treatment. And, uh, and it said clients that, that are repeat offenders, not unduplicated clients is what they call it in their research. They were nearly three times as likely as first-timers to go to rehab. So at least they're building some relationships in these sobering centers. At least they're creating some kind of connection point which is what the addiction connection is all about, and they're connecting them to help. So, um, so I'm for those kinds of things, obviously. I'm not against that. I, I want our communities to be a safer place. I wouldn't even be doing uh, this ministry, this podcast, or anything that I do writing-wise. Uh, but I want people to really think through uh, all, of, all of these um, all of these types of interventions. And maybe that's what this is. Now, the now the downside to me is that, yes, a drunken person goes, they don't have uh, any consequences financially, nor do they have any consequences legally. And I think that that is unfortunate. Now, I'm not somebody running around wanting to arrest everybody, throw everybody in jail. I mean, we'd all be in jail um, for stuff that we've done. But I think consequences tend to get the attention of the addicted person. Now, not always. Some people get a consequence. They've been to jail so many times, you know, it doesn't do anything to them. It doesn't create any fear. Uh, they don't respond any differently. So um, in, in one sense, yeah, I mean, consequences alone don't change the heart. We all understand that. But the addicted are helped in in that they do receive consequences that put pressure on them, some kind of pressure from outside that often encourage them to make a change, to be transformed, to, to take steps in a new direction. And of course, you know, repeat offender, you can say, hey, buddy, uh, this isn't working out. This is the third time or the 14th time you've been in here. Uh, living life your way isn't working. We've got some places we can recommend to you uh, for help. And, uh, and, and that obviously helped in one situation on the 14th time, um, but it didn't help one through 13, you know, and, and thankfully the person was still alive at encounter number 14 with the sobering center. They were still alive then. I mean, some people don't make it to 14 different repeat times in the sobering center. Some people die at the first, second, third, fourth, you know, fifth, et cetera. So, or they never come back for the second one. So I, um, I, I do think that some kind of consequence, some kind of accountability would be exceptional in a place like this. 
And I'm not saying that they have to be thrown in jail or, you know, and and you don't want to create something that's going to keep them away from the sobering center, you know. But um, I examined some data in the ASEP table. It's the American College of Emergency Physicians. And I was interested in the category of unduplicated clients. Uh, And it was fascinating to me to see that in Seattle, only 2,000 of the 18,522 total client encounters were unduplicated clients. Now, this is their terminology, but basically what they're saying is 2,000 people came a total of 18,522 times. So in other words, 89% of these client encounters in Seattle were repeat offenders, 89%. And most of the cities didn't report this kind of data uh, San Francisco did. They did. Um, they had 66% of repeated client encounters. And then it was Bethel, Alaska. I couldn't remember the town, but Bethel, Alaska had the best number with only 44% of repeated client events. So you had 89%, 66%, and 44%. Any of those numbers are kind of high. You're just going to have a lot of repeat offenders. And, you know, and I just, I, I thought about that. I mean, um, you know, what's the motivation to get help? And oftentimes it is through a consequence. Now, some of my thoughts are that the sobering centers, I think, are helpful for the addicted, as we said. They provide hope. Uh, and, that, and that's a good thing. I mean, we want people to have hope in Christ, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's our verse, Romans 15, 13. It's believing. Believing in what? In Jesus Christ, so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And so we want people not just to have hope, but to abound in hope. So I think the addicted person is one group of persons that can be helped. The second group is law enforcement. Law enforcement is helped in that they have a place they can take an addicted, intoxicated person. They can take them to a safe place knowing that they're helping them and not just telling them, go back home, go to sleep, or, or put them in jail You know, unnecessarily when they do really need to be supervised medically. Uh, and it puts the burden on a medical team that's equipped to handle it rather than a um, a staff uh, at a local jail that might have a hard time dealing with such such situations. So I'm, I'm grateful that our law enforcement has helped. I, I think law enforcement does a ton of work that goes unappreciated by most of us. We don't have any idea what law enforcement has to deal with. So I think there is a relief to them. And, and I mean, I, I have officers as friends, several who work in law enforcement, three guys I can think of off the top of my head. And those guys, you know, they don't want to take somebody to jail, and they would much rather them get the help they need. And of course, this is a a one-night, overnight solution, but the hope is that the person would connect with somebody at the sobering center and eventually go to a, a rehab or treatment program my hope would be a biblical one, but it's probably not realistic, but be referred somewhere for additional help. And so from a law enforcement perspective, uh, I think the sobering center is a good idea. Uh, 
And then I think, as we, as I said earlier, the medical personnel at emergency room hospitals are helped by this as well. So that's a good thing. I mean, we don't want the burden of of healthcare. You know, I don't want to fill up emergency rooms with drug addiction related kinds of things when. We all know when you go to the emergency room, especially on a Friday night or Saturday night, you're just going to be there a long time, especially if you have a somewhat minor, uh, in in the medical person's view, I mean, in my view, it's always major, but from their view, if it's a minor a medical emergency, then you know you get bumped or you have to wait, and they're tending to a lot of these life and death situations, which is what you want. Uh, from those kinds of things. But if we can take off the addictive reasons for going to a medical emergency room, I think that's a good thing. I think the way we have to look at a sobering center is this. It is an attempt to love people. And we call it what we want, but it is a way to keep them alive, to love them, to give them another opportunity to hear the hope of the gospel for the heart of addiction, it would be my um, preference that they would hear, that they would hear, go to a program that would preach that. But this does keep them alive. And every life is valuable. Despite their sin, despite their public sin, and despite their endangerment to others. I mean, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people drink and drive, use and drive. Despite all that, this is a way to love those people who are acting in an unloving way. Maybe they even appear to be unlovely, and I don't mean in a physical sense, but spiritually speaking, you know, this is a person who is acting in a very selfish way and is hurting the community or has the potential to really hurt the community. And the great thing is we're loving them by helping them to stay alive with the hope that they're going to hear the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's what I can say. I don't see it as a solution. I don't see it as the end-all, be-all. But I do think it is a fascinating way for communities to intervene, to try to do something to help what is an overwhelming problem around our country and around our world that people are uh, just just without hope, giving up, and and living in a way that sometimes they hope they will die, and so I think this can be one avenue to keep them alive. And then my hope is more than a hope. So uh, my hope is in Christ that they would hear the gospel, that they would hear a message from someone like you who may be listening to this podcast that you would be someone that walk across their path to love them with temporal love, but also eternal love, pointing them to our eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you will catch the next podcast. Take care and God bless.